reading glasses. You're not too much trouble. Once again, she makes me feel like the worst daughter in the world. Of course you're not. She pushes the plate of cake away from her, apparently too overwhelmed to eat. I love you, you know that. It's only that I have such a lot to do in the cafe. The list is endless. Even the thought of it is making me feel quite dizzy. <laughs> she rolls her eyes. The cafe this, the cafe that. It's all you ever think about. It's all I ever hear about. It pays the bills, Mum. Just about. The ones that don't go away just because I'm at home and caring for you, I add to myself, but dare not say out loud. My mum took to her bed with a bad bout of flu, four winters ago now. The flu became pneumonia, and there's no doubt that she was very poorly at the time. But several courses of antibiotics later, and when the pneumonia had run its course, she was still in no hurry to get up. Then she slipped in the bathroom and broke her hip. When she came back from hospital, she eschewed the physiotherapy programme that she'd been advised to follow, and took to her bed again to convalesce. She made herself very comfortable there, and since then she simply refused to get up. Mum has decided that she's still ill and infirm, no matter how many times the doctor tells her that she's just fine. She stayed exactly where she is, and no one can persuade her otherwise. I've coaxed and encouraged her. Doctors come and cajole her. Mental health professionals turn up, try to counsel her, and are duly rebuffed. Antidepressants were prescribed, dispensed, and found by me hidden down the back of the headboard. In short, my mother has decided she will be permanently bedridden, and quite frankly, she loves it. Now, every day Miranda Merriweather sits in her bed, snuggled in a duvet, surrounded by fluffy pillows, holding court like the queen of a very small country. These days she refuses to let most people enter her domain. Occasionally our lovely GP, Dr. Ahmed, is reluctantly allowed an audience. I think at first she liked the attention. Then, as the months went on, she simply became entrenched, until finally she was frightened to get up and go out at all. Now it's simply become a way of life. The friends she once had have all gradually fallen away, until now I'm the sole person at her beck and call. I cook, clean, and run the cafe. While Mum can still get herself back and forth across the landing to the bathroom, she needs my help to shower, and I wash her hair for her too when she requires it. Though some days I don't have time to wash my own hair. There's an ever-growing cache of tablets that have to be administered at regular intervals. Blood pressure pills, water tablets, sleeping potions, statins. The list goes on. The longer she stays in bed, the more medicines she needs. I change her nightdress every day and her sheets once a week. Your sister would never treat me like this, Mum says. She wouldn't, I agree. You'd starve before you got tea and cake from Edie. Mum recoils as if I've slapped her, then turns her head to stare resolutely out of the window at the garden and beyond at the canal which meanders past.
The trees along the bank are coming into full bud, and soon the hawthorn will be in glorious blossom. It's so beautiful out there. Yet she'll stay in this room and miss it all. Edie could teach you a thing or two about caring, madam. She couldn't, believe me, she really couldn't. Edie, my younger and only sibling, is the shining girl of the family. Edie, the unemployed, heavy-drinking, recreational drug user who is currently kept by a married man, can do no wrong in Mum's eyes. As she lives in New York, my mother is unaware that any of this actually goes on. As far as she's concerned, Edie is busily working away at a wonderful career and has a boyfriend who is a fabulously wealthy lawyer. As such, she is a far better daughter than I am. My sister is very scant on detail when she speaks to us.